Hello, everyone. I'm uh, Kevin Golis. I'm the Director of Security Services here at OpenTex. Uh, before this, I was the Vice President of Professional Services at Access Data. I was the Director of Risk Advisory Services at Grant Thornton. And then I was the uh, Senior Director of Security Services at Absolute Software. Mr. Grant, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, sorry, I got stuck on mute there. Uh, Jay Grant, I'm the uh, security program manager at uh, Webcore Builders, uh, general contracting firm out of California. Um, I have worked um, law enforcement, military, federal government, and commercial um, cybersecurity and investigations. Dave, would you like to give a background on yourself, please? Sure. Uh, my name is Dave Dufour. I'm Vice President of Engineering um, at uh, Carbonite WebRoot, which was an acquisition OpenText made about a year ago. Um, basically, all the cybersecurity uh, products that we make, um, the, the engineers for that report under me, our threat researchers, our machine learning teams, all of that. And then, uh, which most notably for this conversation would be our Bright Cloud Threat Intelligence, uh, was with WebRoot, now OpenText for seven years, um, and former Air Force, that kind of stuff. So been around the, been around the block. Yeah, I thought it was important to have Dave on because he really, you know, he's the one driving the direction of the product, driving the direction of our bright cloud threat intelligence, where it's going to go. And, you know, we're using it inside of our sim. And I just, you know, I thought it would be really good to get his viewpoint on things. When I had Jay, myself and him kind of on Monday, just kind of walking through what we were going to talk about, bringing different perspective from a threat intelligence, what to think about, you know, how it needs to be deployed, what things to think about was really enlightening kind of us all walking through, you know, what we're going to cover on this presentation and where it might go. I think you guys are going to be in for a, a pretty good conversation, right? Like Scott said, anything that you want to ask us, just type it in the chat window um, and we'd be more than willing to address it, answer it, talk about it, right? That's what it's for. It's for this back and forth kind of conversation. So what we want to get into is what is threat intelligence? I think it opened my eyes a little bit. Um, like I said, some some kind of the differences, right? When we talk about like open source compared to uh, commercially paid threat intel, what's the difference? What does that really mean, right? And I think Jay uh, and Dave are gonna explain that to us. I'm gonna give my interpretation of what threat intelligence is, and then I'm open up to you and Jay, uh, you and Jay, Dave, and see if you agree, disagree, and let's continue on with that. My interpretation of threat intelligence is information about threats and threat actors that can help mitigate risk events. Um, usually it's done through a SIM platform, right? But that's my interpretation of what threat intelligence is. Jay or Dave, do you agree you want to add to that? Well, I'll, I'll jump in. This is Dave. Um, so I agree with that in terms of the SIM side. Uh, I, I'd expand a little bit more. Um, in terms of, you know, uh, maybe it's something that can be embedded in uh, software. We, we use our threat intelligence and all of our security products, along with network appliances, uh, such as, uh, you know, uh, load balancers or, or firewalls and things like that. So I think there's 
uh, a discussion to be had around what type of threat intelligence you need. Like if you're a SIM, you potentially don't need that real-time uh, threat intelligence. You need to just be able to look up things historically. Uh, or if, if you are using something inside of a, an active appliance or an active piece of software, you need that in, uh, that real-time component to it. Um, so I think it, I, for me, it's a little bit broader than just you know looking up uh, what had happened and trying to track down something. Um, I like to think if you need it, um, how do you apply it in a, in a real-time state? Yeah, I definitely, before Jay speaks, I definitely think I want to explore a little bit later in this, in this conversation, I want to explore what you talked about with load balancers and different appliances having threat intel built into them. I'll be honest with you, when I think threat intel, I think, you know, cybersecurity, SIM platform, right? I need to have my threat intel, whether it be open source or commercial, which we'll get into in a minute. But I don't really think applications having their own in it. And we're, and we're going to talk, as you already know, we're going to talk about firewalls and other applications. But to be honest with you, I don't really think of that. When I think of threat intel, I pretty much am like singular focused right on uh, a platform like a MSSP platform or SIM platform. I'm more focused on that. But it's interesting that it, there's a lot more to it than that, right? Some IoT devices might have it, some other platforms yep. might have it. And how is that? And we're, as you already know, we're going to get into all that. So, Mr. Grant, is there anything you'd like to add to that? Yeah, I would, I would just say I think it's important to understand your environment, right? Because you guys have touched on several different types of threat intelligence. So, you know, it comes down to, you know, some of that governance as well, right? What type of data sets do I have? Where are they stored? Are they out in the cloud? Are they on prem? Are they in a, uh, you know, colo? Are they in a data center? Where are they at? and what things do i have around it and what types of attacks can come towards me right because some folks iot could be a very critical piece others it could be you know some type of cloud data lake others it could be a on-prem data lake right so understanding what your environment looks like and where you're placing the threat intel and what it has visibility into is pretty critical and you know let's not forget about you know, the dark web stuff, you know, the surface web stuff, um, is that part of the threat intel? You know, do you need to have it? You know, there's there's a lot of nuances that go with threat intelligence. And I think we're gonna talk about some of that when we get into the contextualization of the threats and um, what makes a good threat source and how it, where is it getting its information from? Um, I mean, I'm, we're, we're gonna talk about that as you already know, Jay, in a little bit. Let me open it up. Let me open it up with this. Dave, what's the difference between like an open source threat feed and a commercially paid threat threat feed? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. And and obviously everyone, whatever I say, we can poke holes in it all day long. So I'm going to use generalizations with the understanding that you can obviously uh, throw shade at me if you want. Um, the 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 trick here with an open source is it's typically some type of list that's been crowdsourced or or maybe you're downloading it from uh, the government, uh, maybe the FBI, uh, things like that. And you're getting it from a location that that everyone should get uh, get it from. And in fact, if there are free sources and you're able to consume those, you would be remiss in your duty as a security professional and not doing so. Um, the, but 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 a, a paid threat source, and I'm not talking just about you know 
bright cloud threat intelligence, the stuff we make. Um, I want to, in general, you, you really have to understand what, what, what folks are doing are standing up things like honeypots. They're actually crawling the internet, scanning, looking for threats. They're comparing, you know, threats that they see to other types of threats in the wild. You're actually downloading threats, whether it be a file-borne or network-borne threat, and you're blowing it up in an environment and trying to understand where it's communicating back to. And you're actually spending time and energy to identify, collate, catalog, and then somehow publish that information for your customers. So depending on the level and, and, and how often the, the velocity of that data uh, can relate to the cost, but there is some effort and analysis put into uh, a paid threat source. And if you're not getting that, you shouldn't be paying for it. And so really the difference is between what, what is being crowdsourced or provided by the government or other entities and what uh, an organization, a for-profit organization would be doing to actually go out and actively look for threats and then provide that information back to you. So let me, let me ask Jay this question. Do you think it's beneficial to have more than one source paid? So, you know, I definitely think that you should consider it, you know, based on how your enterprise is set up. And, you know, as I mentioned earlier, what's important to you. And to kind of piggyback off of, um, you know, what Dave just said is, you know, there was this term in the military that we always had. It's called a force multiplier, right? So your paid threat intelligence is your force multiplier because there are engineers and analysts that are behind that. Um, you know, running ML, running AI, doing the honeypots, like you mentioned, doing those types of things. When you have just a static list that's open source and you're not doing anything with that, you're not maturing that data set, I'll remind you that the bad guys still have that same data set too, right? Because it's open source. So bad guys can sit there, know what you know, and, you know, go after your environments because they know that it's not there, right? So... Mm -hmm. There's definitely a benefit to having a paid threat intelligence source. There's definitely a benefit, depending on your environment, of having more than one. And, and I, I want to second what Jay just said there. And this is coming from a guy who makes a product that is for sale. There is value in having multiple sources, but you have to make sure they're, they're, you're meeting the need. You don't want to go buy an IoT source if, if you're running strictly enterprise. But Jay is absolutely right. And, and as, I'm trying to validate that comment because – we sell a product, but I want I want you all to think that you probably should have more because I like to say we're not perfect. And I feel like our not perfect is better than other people's not perfect. But absolutely, people see stuff that we don't see. And so it, uh, it's good that, as Jay said, have a false multiplier across uh, multiple sources. Yep. And let me just ask another question. Uh, is it true that if the threat feed is open source, i.e. free? that it's usually coming from other open source technology, not a paid technology. And then I guess the next question would be, those open sources may probably are not as in depth or as uh, the integrity of those sources may not be up, you know, up to speed as quick as a commercial feed. Would you agree or how would you differentiate between that as well? Uh, I'll make a run at that first. I, I would say, there are some really bad open source uh, threat feeds where people are kind of crawling the internet, pulling it together, calling it a list and looking for hits on their website. But but let's put that aside. I think there are some really good people out there trying really hard to protect the internet 
and they actually are spending their own time and energy to put together good open source data um, as best they can, pulling it from you know you know active threats. You know Google does a good job. Um, uh, you know, there's Virus Total, which some people like, some people don't. Um, you know, the Fish Tank. They're they're all trying their best, and and I think they are putting good effort into it. And there are reasonably good free sources. Um, and and I, I do mean that there are there, people are out there trying. Yep. Yeah, and I th I think I would add to that in the fact that it depends on the community. I, I really think that that's what you're kind of outlining out there, right? Is is how is the community set up? Um, if you look at like hybrid analysis, right? You have to go through a validation process in order to use the extended sandboxing services and everything else there. They're giving that great effort in trying to validate that they don't have bad actors coming in there fishing around in the data and then giving you a way to share that across the community. Those types of things, if you're looking for open source, are the types of um, things that you would want for a valid open source. You don't want something that's just a list somewhere. That list is whatever the list is. You need to have at least an open source community. Um, you know, miss some of those others that are out there where there's active um, community participation towards the data, but there's also oversight and governance and validating who's putting that information in. Yep. The last thing I want to talk about as it relates to open source to commercial is I also read a lot of people's complaint on um, open source was that it was very noisy and filled with uh, errors and false positives. So I guess that's another element uh, that you're looking into. Dave, just quickly, you don't have to you know get into a big depth thing. How does commercial um, threat intels clean up that noise? How do they kind of reduce that false positives? Yeah, that's a that's a great question and a good point. And and again, some of our competitors, uh, maybe they don't have the velocity and we feel like our data is more accurate. But one thing they do provide, um, even if the price point is lower, is they do provide the ability to clean that data up. So you're not getting as much noise um, and potentially not getting as many false positives. And even if you're at that lower price point, um, to Jay's point earlier, the, 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 the bad actors aren't able to see that data because they're typically not paying for it. So, so you, you do see at times a lot of noise in, in things like fish tank or, or not so much in virus total, but, but, but sites where, where it can be crowdsourced one, because bad actors like to flood that with, with bogus information, but two, there's just nobody, uh, necessarily committed to cleaning that stuff up. Um, and so even at a lower price point, if you could pay for something, you're typically going to get a little bit cleaner data. Um, but if you have some type of cross correlation and you're only flagging things that you see in multiple data sources, you might miss something, but, but you will reduce the noise, um, quite a bit by doing something like that. Okay. You know, and I, I think Kevin, this will kind of run into one of the other topics that we have too. You also have to look at the fact that with your open source, if I put in an IP address that was bad today and I validated it, what's the follow-on process behind that when that IP address becomes clean? Because we all know the Azures, the AWSs, all those things exist. There's load balancers in front of them. There are thousands of you know URLs and servers behind those. So you know one thing may be bad one day, but it's clean the next day. And it goes into your infrastructure as far as what's feeding your threat intel. Because if, let's take a proxy for instance, if you're not doing SSL break and inspect, 
you're not getting the URL referrer header. So you're only getting that domain landing. So, you know, that's one IP address, but the actual bad server is behind there. So if you're not doing um, and manipulating the data the way that you need to feed that threat intelligence source, you're not getting accurate information. Yeah, that's well, and, and I, I, yeah, and I want to jump in because Jay is spot on on something here, or I mean, he's spot on a lot of stuff, but something I really want to hone in. Um, so what we do specifically, not saying ours is better or worse, we do kind of a, a, a jail parole free system with IP addresses where if somebody's a bad actor, they're in jail, as we see them be better, they go out on parole, maybe we're not scanning as much. If they get bad again, they go back to jail or eventually they go, uh, they're, they're free again. And so it's, it's marked a good IP. The point that I'm trying to make is the status of something over time is important. Because let's say you're examining uh, syslogs in a sim from a router and the the, the data uh, that you're looking at is two days old and you just pulled in a new source set of, of IP addresses, but that source set is active right now. And, and, and it's quite possible that you might trigger on a malicious IP that your stuff was communicating with, but when it was communicating with it, it wasn't a bad IP and that's making a ton of noise for you because you actually don't have a problem or the inverse is true, that you're looking at IP addresses from a log that's a day old and the IP was malicious a day ago, now it's not malicious and you don't know that it was a malicious a day ago. So there's a time correlation in there that's important as well that you may not get if you're just looking at sources that don't have like historical perspective on, on those, on those um, you know, data points. Yep, that's good. Let's talk about firewalls. So like you and I and Jay talked about firewalls and you know, some people say, hey, I have Threat Intel built to my firewall. I don't need an extra source or another source. What's your feeling on that, Jay? Well, I'd ask you what your traffic path is, right? And let's take our COVID situation right now. When your folks are off VPN, they're not traveling through there. That threat intelligence is doing nothing, right? And this is, you know, what we've been kind of hammering on from the beginning of this is what is your network topology? How does your traffic go through? What devices are in place? What threat intelligence do you have there? Because if you've got a cloud IP, or excuse me, a cloud proxy, you've got to have the same level of threat intelligence going into your cloud proxy that you have going into your firewalls to have consistent security across remote users and on-prem users. So all of that has to be architected and it maps to the question of do we need more than one source of threat intelligence? Yep, and so <clears throat> let's, let me let me dive into that just a little bit. So when you talked about the flow, so if you know, which most people don't, right? They don't have them come back through the network. Some do, right? Some I, I know some do, but let's just say everyone's working from home when they go out to the internet, they go out through their cable modem or whatever, right? They don't come back through the corporate network to go out. That's if they're not VPN in. But my point is. Um, they go out, there's no visibility to that. So we've talked before in the past, right, about like web, web isolation technology and other proxies that you can put in place to do that. That's when you're talking about with NetFlow and to be able to see that visibility and have that intelligence resonant on that kind of internet connection or that outbound connection, correct? Correct, I mean, coming, you know, coming from my days at Bluecoat, right, that's why you see a lot of the proxy vendors where they offer um, you know, your on-prem proxy that is with their cloud proxy and everything kind of maps together because you get that consistency across either on-prem cloud or a hybrid scenario. 
So you, you just have to understand that traffic flow and what's in place. And then what also comes into play, what do you have for EDR or your, your endpoint, right? What is that looking at on-prem versus off-prem and how does that threat intelligence look and what feeds are going to that? So, you know, these are just things that we're calling out that I think that sometimes threat intelligence just gets glazed over yep. and it actually needs to be in your architecture to understand what's inspecting what when. Right. Well, I think like you said, you have to know, does your firewall do X? Where is it getting its threat intel from? How valuable is that? Maybe, you know, you and like you, you and I talked about and Dave is you can put threat intel that you either purchase or open source into your, 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 your firewalls because they accept more than one source. Maybe they're doing theirs and you can put other sources that you put into it and having your firewall do it. But then I think one other thing I want to highlight is sometimes you don't want to overtask tax your firewall because you want to make sure it's doing what its core is, right? So there's all, like there, there's those things to think about. Would you agree? Absolutely. Dave, is there anything you want to add on to that? Well, you know, you know we can even I, I got to say, I, I got to say, Jay nailed it. I want to reinforce something he said, though. You have tools right now, I guarantee it, in place that let you see what's going on on devices um, that you could, you know, maybe you can be pulling up data from your endpoint solution that's running on all of your corporate machines, even though they're widely distributed. And if you're not doing that, take a look at that and pull that data back into some type of log analysis system. Um, obviously a SIM, but I'm just, you know, using lots of words. Um, and, and I just want to reinforce that. There's stuff out there that you have in place. That it maybe doesn't get you to 100%, but it'll get you to like 80%. You have it now and you don't need more money for it. Might overload your logging, but but just be aware of that. Because it's spot on with the distributed environments we live in today. It's it's hard because not everything's going through a V. I know I hardly ever use a VPN. Um, and, and, and pulling that back through an endpoint EDR, uh, or, or even if you have just a regular uh, next-gen antivirus or something, you can get a lot of information where people are going, what they're doing. Yep. The other thing I wanted to talk about uh, when we talked about it on Monday was kind of like things to be aware of with your threat intel, like recategorization of threats, uh, velocity of lookups. You, Dave, you want to kind of take that on? Yeah, you know where it all starts is, is know, what you're, know what you need. Like I go to these conferences a lot and people are like, do you use machine learning? And I'm like, well, we do, but why do you care what I use? What is your problem? You know, if you if you are uh, an MSP, you have 10,000 users and you're supporting, you know, a, a small business footprint and they're all, you know, welders across central Oklahoma, you probably don't need an active threat intel uh, data set that you're paying 100 grand a year for, right? But if you're running a large enterprise, you might need something like that because you got to monitor where your people are going. So first, you better take the time to define what your need is based on your ecosystem and your environment. And from there, from there, start talking to people and look at velocity. Velocity is something we you know mentioned earlier when we talked about this IP is bad today, but tom tomorrow it can be identified as good. You know, do you care about that? Do you need that? And understand that because as you start going up the spectrum from, you know, a paid source that's been cleaned up, you can rely on it. They publish it once a day to active intelligence that's real time in the cloud that you can use to protect yourself because that data is continuously being updated. You're, there's huge price point differences. But 
irrespective of what you're paying for it, if you don't walk in knowing what you need based on your ecosystem, you're gonna you're probably gonna get sold something. And what you don't want is to be sold something. You want to buy what you need. And and I don't know if I went off on a tangent there, but I'm pretty passionate about that because I see people buy stuff they don't need all the time. Well, I think that's right. I think you have to understand exactly what you're looking for in a thread intel feed, right? What understand why you need it, what you're looking for. Like, you know, uh, doing some research, there's even like sometimes industry feeds that you want, like of other industries that are being attacked, how they're being attacked rather than getting everything. So I think you just, like you said, like anything else, when you go out and make a purchase, you got to understand what is my criteria? What am I looking for? And then go out and see who offers this, right? So I think exactly. you, you just have to dissect it down. We have yeah, two you know, more I, minutes. Ahead, I, I wanted to just plug this in real, real quick, Kevin. You know what I would challenge everyone on the call to do after this? is go to a whiteboard, draw out your architecture, and draw draw out your traffic flow. Draw out if a user is off-prem, what the traffic flow is, if they're on-prem, if they're off-prem on VPN, all those different scenarios, and then mark what threat intelligence is doing what, where. That will give you a different perspective of what your security posture is in your environment because most folks aren't tracking it that way. And you may find some gaps in your area and, and that's where you can then go and justify that spend as to, hey, this is our security posture when they're you know off-prem, off-VPN. This is our security posture off-prem on VPN. This is our posture on-prem. This is where the threat intelligence is different. This is why I need to standardize this across the board. Yep, last statement I'll make. Uh, when we do our risk profiling, that's one of the things that we do. As you know, Jay, we look, where are the risks known? Where are they unknown? Do we have any other risks out there? How do we mitigate that risk? Like, you, you know, you, you and I put in um, web isolation in, in the past because there was a high risk there. It's just understanding where your risks lie. Like you said, where's your traffic flow coming from? How are these people connecting? Where are they connecting from? Like Jay said, it's a whole, it's a whole, enterprise kind of like risk posture that we're looking for. I know we're at the top of the hour, Scott. Um, I would like to open it up to any questions anyone has before we end this recording. Does anyone have any questions that they want to ask myself, Jay or Dave? 